1920s technology mind. As I said, uh, last week we had an adult conversation about sex, and today as we're working through the book of Ephesians, we're going to have an adult conversation about alcohol. Ooh, okay. So I want to read a passage to you that we've, actually we skipped over something because some other people are going to be teaching the next, on that passage later. Uh, if you could, op- if you have a Bible with you, if you could open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, it's page 813 in these loner Bibles, uh, they're underneath the seat in front of you, grab one and uh, you're welcome to use them. I, saw, I just saw one in someone's home this week, which I was happy to see. Uh, give them to friends, family, strangers. We could become, you could be giving them out. We could become like those people that put them in motels. Okay, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Here's what it says. Or let's start at 17. It says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or dissipation. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he finishes, and this, this, your, your Bibles might have a, you know, a, a paragraph break here, but the last verse Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as part of that, grammatically. So there's two phrases in there I want to look at. And each of them are you know, packed with something. What Paul does is he puts them together and he sort of compares and contrasts, but he says something really important. Uh, actually, he says two things we're going to cover. The first thing he says is don't be drunk with wine. So don't be drunk with wine. And, you know, people read that and go, well, Why? You know, you know, you don't know how stressful my life is. Uh, you know, Friday night or Tuesday night or, you know, Tuesday at noon, a uh, uh, nice shot, nice couple of glasses of wine, that, you know, that, that's what make, gets me through my week. Well, what Paul says here, and, and this is the adult part of this, is Paul says something. He says, if you get drunk, it's going to lead somewhere that you're not going to want to go. You don't think you're going to go there, but you're going to go there. And he calls it, it's going to lead to dissipation or debauchery. And it's a Greek word that means to be out of control and irresponsible. Now, you know, ancient ethicists had long, long taught the rule, don't get drunk with wine. And of course, most people <laughs> ignored it. Uh, this whole idea of don't drink, or excuse me, don't get drunk, wasn't just from the Bible. It isn't just an idea that Christians came up with their Jews. It was something that in Greek, Roman society, people were constantly being admonished, don't get drunk. And what they, what they didn't understand that we understand now is alcohol, too much alcohol, impairs a part of your brain that you really need. And it doesn't just make you stumble around, which can lead to, you know, bad outcomes. But what it does is it impairs the executive function of your brain that controls judgment. In particular, moral judgment. 
in particular, how you live your life and you relate to people. And what it does, it sort of just turns that off. It just turns it off. Anybody ever experienced that before? Anybody ever done something? Maybe you did some things when you got drunk that you don't even remember. And people had to tell you about it afterwards. Because that's another part of your executive brain that gets turned off is your memory. If you drink enough, your memory gets impaired. Motor function gets impaired. So many parts that were important parts of your brain are impaired. That's why people aren't supposed to drive when they've drunk too much. It's this impairment that the Bible's concerned about. It's not concerned about, you know, alcohol per se. And, and there's a, there was a tradition, a, a rich, long tradition. I'll read to you from, see if this sounds familiar. This is from the book of Proverbs. And this is supposed to be wisdom that is passed on from older people to younger people, uh, from parents to their children, you know, from the aged to the millennials. You guys didn't get that. Okay. Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 35, it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Obviously, rhetorical question. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. <laughs> Sounds like Napa Valley here. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? This is wisdom saying, this is what you'll experience when you, when you start abusing alcohol. So Paul just summarizes that, and he says, don't get drunk. And Now, he also says earlier in this passage, with all these things, whether it's lying whether it's bitterness, whether it's stealing, whether it's sexual immorality or drinking, what he says is, it, all these behaviors lead to bad outcomes, but they also open us and other people up to demonic oppression. Meaning, it's like living in a bad neighborhood and leaving your front door open and putting a neon welcome sign and say, the silver's in the kitchen drawer, and the jewelry is in under our bed upstairs. You know, it's telling people who want to do you harm that they're welcome to come in and just cause you trouble. And, and most of us who struggle with drinking too much, we just ignore that. Paul says you should take it seriously. The, the witness of Scripture is if you abuse alcohol... You're going to have trouble in your life. You're going to have demonic oppression, which is sometimes the least of your troubles. And I could read dozens and dozens of scriptures, but I know two, two things are coming to your mind right now. Because I've, I've talked to people about this as I was weighing what to share. Does Paul say, don't drink at all? 
No, that's not what he's saying here. In fact, the, the message of the Bible, and people, you know, if you want to push back afterwards with me about this, you're welcome to, but the message of the Bible is enjoy alcohol responsibly. We know that you can drink a glass of wine, you can have some liquor, and it, it can go to a certain blood level that you can enjoy, but it doesn't impair you. But if you keep drinking, it will impair you. And when impairment happens, that's when all the bad stuff happens. And that's what the Bible says over and over and over. Because remember the verse before, the section before where Paul said, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are not proper for God's holy people. He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say, he could have said, put it this way, he could have said, there must not be a hint of drinking among you. But he didn't say that. He said, don't become drunk. And then he uses, and he's going to use a word, the next phrase I show you, talks to you. Again, he qualifies this so people won't think. He said, Paul wasn't a teetotaler. He wasn't someone who believed in no alcohol. Now, I don't drink. I can say this. I don't drink at all. I'm not an alcohol person. But I've chosen that because I, I have an uh, obsessive personality. <laughs> and... And I abused things when I was younger. And so I don't need more things to abuse. I'm struggling with enough things now. Thank you very much. Uh, And I'm not going to tell the next line that everyone laughed about. I'm just going to move on the last time I said it. But what about marijuana? Marijuana, pot, if you don't know the difference, is is in the same category as alcohol, except it's different in this way. You can't smoke a little pot. It immediately impairs you. Therefore, when you get into pot smoking, what you're doing is the same executive function of your brain, the same areas are impacted in a little different way than pot, by pot than alcohol. Pot and alcohol, research says, both affect your brain in in largely the same way. It feels different, clearly, because the chemicals and pot and the way that they work in your body, because you have have cannabinoids in your body already. Certain chemicals in alcohol interact in your body chemistry one way, THC impacts your body in another way, but it yields the same fruit. When you go above a certain level of alcohol, content in your blood, you're impaired. The first puff or two of pot impairs you in the same way, but it feels different than alcohol. And just like people who, over, who, who abuse alcohol feel like they can do things that they can't, the scary thing about pot is it, it induces that same sense of self-deception, that I can do things that are, I, I'm not impaired, but you are impaired. And I know, I've had lots of people tell me over the years, when they're impaired, they do things they really regret later. And here's the biggest reason why we shouldn't be impaired. You can't love if you're impaired. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're impaired. You will not love people. You won't. Your judgment is impaired. You can't overcome chemistry. That's why Paul says here, don't 
get drunk. Don't do it. This is the adult portion of this message. Okay? Now, are you aware, if you drink and you're here, are you aware of where your impairment threshold is? And here's the scary thing about it. If you drink to excess, your impairment threshold is where everybody else's is. You just don't think it is. You're, you're out of control. You've entered into dissipation that Paul warns about just when everybody else does. But because of tolerance, which is this weird uh, reaction of our body to prolonged abuse of alcohol, we begin to tolerate alcohol. And so we drink more to get the same feeling. And then what it does is it leads us into more trouble because it dulls us. It dulls our senses. It's, it's the, the, the bad side of addiction. The addiction cycle takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like a, uh, an auger, an, an auger of destruction. And so this is, this is something you have to take seriously. Do you know where your threshold is? You should. Secondly, do you have people in your life that if you're going to drink, you give them permission to say to you, when you, they see you acting like a butthead, that they will say to you, you need to stop drinking now. And it usually takes a while for us to negotiate that and then be willing to listen to someone when we've drunk too much. And that's the bad thing about it is when someone says to you, you've had too many, you don't feel like you've had too many. And so you need to negotiate this beforehand and you need to have this conversation a number of times. Because here's the thing about this being drunk with wine thing is, we are very purposeful people. We do everything for a reason. It might not be a good reason. It might not be a reason we're aware of. But when you drink too much, you're doing it for a reason. And most of the time, it's to control the mood you're in. But alcohol doesn't really help your mood, except temporarily. It really depresses, because it's a depressant. It depresses those parts of your brain that are important. But what you're doing is, you're essentially... You're sitting in a house that's on fire and the fire alarm is going off, the smoke alarm, and you stand on a chair and you take the battery out. So the, 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 the noise doesn't bother you and you keep drinking. And you ignore the fire and the smoke. I told you this was adult conversation. When we drink too much, when we smoke pot, you can drink responsibly and enjoy wine. You can enjoy alcohol. But if you go past the point where you're impaired, you're doing it for a reason. And what you're not experiencing is the real solution to why you feel so crappy. You're not pressing into legitimate suffering so that you can find God's comfort and His healing. You're avoiding it. This is why you have to have this conversation with, with people who are around you who won't enable you and won't ignore when you're drinking too much. And so Paul gives us a solution. And in a sense, what he's saying here is, he uses these two phrases, and he uses them in juxtaposition. He says, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be filled too much with wine. 
but be filled with the Spirit. Now, they're not the same words, the filled part. They're not the same words. Paul uses a different Greek word. But what he's saying is that substance abuse is a worthless counterfeit to drinking. I'm, excuse me, substance abuse is a worthless counterfeit to a spirit-filled life. It's a worthless counterfeit. It's a counterfeit because you feel joy. You feel good when you're drinking too much, don't you? Does anybody, when you have that, that second drink and you're feeling a little better, and you think, oh, I know if I have this third drink, I'm going to really feel miserable. So, you know, bartender, give me another one. No, you go, oh, this feels good. I want to feel better. But the truth is, when you go from that point, you're avoiding something. And the Spirit, on the other hand, the effects of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and the effects of being filled with too much alcohol are really different. Because when you're filled with too much alcohol, you lose control. And then later on, you really, really suffer for what you've done. You suffer physically. You may suffer relationally. You will suffer spiritually. If you're sitting here and you think, John, you are just overhyping this. You are in deception. I just want to tell you, you're in deception. The enemy has, has lied to you that it's okay for you to do what you're doing. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, you are in dangerous territory if you think you can sow and not reap. You are. Just what the Bible says over and over. Now, we live in a society that's saturated with substance abuse. We abuse everything. People tell me when we have these little moments of quiet in a service like we just had, that's like their skin is crawling, like, gosh, I can't hardly handle it. That three minutes of quiet. Because one of the things that we have in our society is noise, just noise. It's just always there, isn't it? And when, when we get quiet, everything that's inside us starts coming to the surface. And when, when we don't tend to our souls the way we should, then all those funky things start coming to the surface, and they're uncomfortable. And we can go to the cross with those things and face them with Jesus and other love, loving, safe, wise people, or we can find a way to cope with them, and oftentimes through abusing substances. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. If you are, you won't lose control. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Did you know... One of the fruits of the Spirit, this is an interesting little link here. The word joy, which is what we're seeking when we are drinking too much. We want joy, but we don't get real joy. The word joy is the Greek word car. And it's the root of the word grace. Chorus. Grace comes from God. We experience grace from God through Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who, when we go to Christ at the cross and turn our lives as a, as a way of life over to Him, turn from coping, turn from hiding, turn from running, turn from running our own lives, 
we experience grace. We begin to experience joy. It's, it, it's, it's just, it's a surprise. Like, really? When I feel bad, I can eventually feel good? Yes. And it's flipped when you abuse alcohol. You feel good, then you feel bad. And if you abuse alcohol, you're going to come to the point where the pain of staying the same is going to be greater than the pain of changing. But when you face the mess that you've made, that we, we all make, and you come to Jesus, and you surrender, and you face the pain, and you stay in it, joy starts coming. There's a tipping point where transformation starts happening, and you start learning. I can go to Jesus with these crappy feelings I have, and, and as I wrestle with him, wrestle with them before him, I can sort them out, and they get replaced. But it's not easy. It's easier to find joy in a glass. But it isn't. And I'm just saying this to you today, not because I picked this day, because 15 people in our church told me about their drinking problems this last week. We're just teaching through this, and I'm just telling you, though, it's timely for some of you. It's timely. The Holy Spirit, who is the source of joy, is the secret to this abundant life that Jesus promises. Now, we, there's a lot we can say about the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read you a couple of passages. And you know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Okay. And what did Jesus come to do? You might have life. I came that you might have life. Have it, like, overflowing abundantly, Right? That's a famous passage that, that, we, that most people hear. It's like John 3.16. A lot of people have heard that verse. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and his, his role in that. He says, he's telling his disciples, I'm getting ready to leave in John 16. He says, I, you know, and to them, leave. They understood, man, he's going to be crucified. They were brokenhearted. And he said to them, he said, listen, it's better that I go. Because if I go, then the Holy Spirit who's been on me... And he's, and, and he's made my life so amazing, he's going to come and be on you, and he's going to live in you. So you're going to be able to live this kind of life that I've modeled for you, this relationship I have with the Father, this love that I have. Here's what he said. Uh, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And this, is the, this is the money verse. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And that what he means is, you will experience everything that Jesus has. Everything that the Father has, Jesus had. Everything that Jesus has, those who believe in him have. And through the Spirit, we can experience that. Now, in this letter we've been reading, Ephesians, the letter starts off in verse 3 with this statement. And then listen what Paul's saying. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he's saying that praise God because what Jesus said would happen when we believed in him has been happening to us. That everything that Jesus has 
we're realizing that great inheritance of his, it is available to us, all of us, slaves, free, young, old, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, no class distinctions. Doesn't matter how messed up you were or how moral you were. Jesus makes all of it, all of what God has available. This abundant life comes through him. And and when Peter preached the first Christian message after the day of Pentecost, we're on the day of Pentecost, he said at the end of this whole message, he, they, they were going, what do we do? We, 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 we want to buy into what you're selling. And he says, repent, every one of you, and be baptized into Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who the Jewish people had seen all throughout their history, upon these great people who's, who became an amazing people. David, Moses, the prophets, Abraham. God's spirit was on them. They knew in Genesis 1, God's spirit rested on creation and it was unformed and, and how he made it. The Father and the Spirit and the Son made creation into what it is now. That he would do a work of new creation in us from the chaos, because that's what... It, Genesis 1 describes this chaos. And then the Spirit comes, and it, and it comes that there's a creation of something that's alive and amazing. And that He will do that by our faith in Jesus in our lives. Whoever puts their faith in Jesus. That the Spirit of God Almighty will come to live inside us. But you can choose to abuse alcohol... Or you can choose that abundant life. You can't choose both. They take you in two different directions. That's why Paul's saying here, if you abuse alcohol, you're embracing a worthless counterfeit. Why would you keep doing that? And then what he says about being filled with the Spirit is really cool. This idea here, be filled with the Spirit, it, it, it had, there's, it's a, I don't speak Greek, and I, I had to, I was taught this, and I, I, I read it, and I've read it in every single commentary about this passage. They all say the same thing. This word here, be filled with, this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, has this unique meaning. Number one, it's, it's a command. It isn't an option. It says, you, Diane, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, Kathy, you, Maggie, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not supposed to be an option. It's not just supposed to be for really special people. It's for everybody. That's the second thing. Oh, childlike moment. So it's a command. It's for everyone. Now, here's, the, here's a really interesting point. It says that the way the Greek is, if you will be open, the Spirit will fill you. You don't have to get worked up. It's almost like this, like, breathe in. You're surrounded by air, because the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, air, wind, life. You're being kept alive by the Spirit of God right now. It's interesting that God chose the word air to describe the Spirit. 
So it's supposed to be way, way more natural. Sometimes we make it a groaning, striving. I'm going to tell you in a second the context of where this happens. But so it's what God's, what Paul's saying is, you must be filled with the Spirit, all of you. And you can do it by just breathing in. And that you need to do it continuously. Because it's the, the, the Greek tense here is a, has a sense of being something that has to happen over and over and over, just like breathing. Then Paul adds at the end of this four things that give us this context. So you go, okay, how do I, what's the secret to this spirit-filled life? If the spirit-filled life is the secret to the abundant life, where I begin to experience all that God has for me, that's through this person, the Holy Spirit, and being filled with him is, is crucial to this. How do I get that? Do I have to go to a conference for some special uh, person to pray for me? Does that happen? Sure. But Paul was spelling out something that was way, way, way more ordinary and mundane and right at your doorstep. Listen to what he says here. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he, may, he, he says four phrases. And I want you to see if you pick up the hint of where he's saying the spirit-filled life happens. He says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to give you, we're going to do a little audience participation. Does, does this bring anything to mind? You can speak up now. This is that part where you can speak up if you have a thought come to your mind. Community, part of it, yeah. Wedding vows, interesting. Worship, worship and singing. Anybody else? Surrender. It's what we do every time we get together. What Paul's saying is, when, when, the, when the body gathers, when community gathers, God gathers with us. Well, he's always with us. But there's an intensification. There's, there's an, a sense of, I don't know, this maybe isn't the best theology. There's a sense of the availability of God that seems to be enhanced when we're with one another. And then as the Jews recognize, when you begin to praise God, and, and praise is adoration of God that is audible, vocal, and visible. Praise in the Old Testament was, it just took too many forms to explain here. It was, you could sing, you could shout, you could dance, you could kneel, you could lay on the floor, you could raise your hands, you clap. You play instruments, you sing. I mean, there were, there was just, you, you give. That's a way to praise God. You serve people. That's a way to praise God. That it, it really, the Hebrew word for worship and the word for work are the same word, avodah. So to worship and praise God is something you do with every in, uh, part of your life. But praise in particular the Jews experienced, when they began to declare God's attributes 
and his, and his wonder and his beauty and his goodness, when they vocalized it, when they expressed it with their whole person, they experienced this thing they called the glory. That the, the presence came. And they used different words for that, but the presence, the word glory in the Old Testament meant something that had weight. And you can feel. You've all felt the presence of God. But what Paul's saying is, when you gather in community, in a community where you are, your lives are opened up to one another, you will experience the presence. And you don't have to strive. You just soak. You breathe it in. And you begin to be filled. And every time you focus that way, when it's on Him, which is the struggle sometimes. We, we have to talk to our worship teams all the time and tell them, everybody out there wants you to perform. That's what mu- people think music is about. One of, the worst, one of the worst trends in the church today is this trend away from God being the audience and you're the choir to you being the audience and all the great musicians play songs that entertain you. It's a terrible trend in the church today. And every worship team feels the pressure of this because it's so ubiquitous. So many churches entertain with their music when we're supposed, music is supposed to be something we use, like it says here. Because when it says psalms, everyone knew a psalm was an Old Testament piece of music that was played with instruments. Instruments accompanied the singing of music in Israel. But it was God was the focus, not you. But what Paul said here is when we sing, two things happen. We praise God and we instruct one another about what God's like. There's a little cross thing happening again there. So we have this opportunity when we gather together to be filled with the Spirit. But we have to do these four things. We have to praise God. We have to sing with, from our hearts. So we use our body to praise God, but we do it not superficially, just singing words, but we praise Him from our hearts, singing and making melody to Him. So it doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't. I mean, you know, to the people around you it does, but for you it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're a good singer or not. You sing and make melody from your heart to the Lord. That should give you the freedom to be able to, if I can't sing on key, it's still cool. But you do it out of gratitude. But the key, he says this something at the end. It, it, people used to think this is part of the, the next passage where he talks about the relationships between husbands and wives. But it's a verse that's grammatically connected to this passage. And it basically says this. This is a condition, in a sense, to being filled with the Spirit. You, more or less, will be filled with the Spirit to the degree that you're meaningfully connected to other people with whom you're singing. The word submit there was a word that was used in all kinds of contexts, but one of its common, most normal contexts was in the military. 
Someone gave commands and other people carried them out. This word here is that same word. And what it's saying is, are you willing to let other people tell you how to live who are around you? Are you willing to be in the kind of relationships in a community context where other people really have sway and influence in your life to a degree where you're really meaningfully vulnerable to them, where you owe them things and they owe you things? Or is it like the typical American church context where church is another drive-through service in our lives? Because these elements are crucial elements to the spirit-filled life. There's only one person in the book of Acts who was filled with the Holy Spirit alone. Did you know that? Let's see, for extra credit, who was that? Paul. All of the other, thank you. Had to get the answer from someone who lives in Germany. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a team game. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, do you see what might be missing for you? If Jesus is just not real to you, it's because you're, you're not filled with the Spirit. If you want Jesus to be real to you, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and submit yourselves to one another. Those four participles are all connected to this imperative that Paul spoke, be filled with the Spirit. So he gives us just a simple roadmap to the Spirit-filled life. And he says, you can, and the cool thing is, drinking is done at parties. Community, group, we're just throwing them down together. Here's this other party we're supposed to be having that we welcome people into. I remember my friend Steve Shogren, once I was traveling with him once, and uh, he did this teaching. Uh, he said, the kingdom of God's a party. And I thought, wow, that's really different. And he taught out of uh, John 2, where Jesus turned water into wine. Which is, you know, one of those great passages that shows that, that God's not against drinking. He's just against abusing alcohol. But it's a picture of the joy of the Lord is supposed to be a part of our lives. A natural part. Car, charis. Jesus, the Holy Spirit. These things are linked in, in these really, really fundamental ways. So, uh, I just want to give us a moment at Corey. Where are you? Are you still here? Corey, oh, there he is. Sitting down. Would you come back up and, and do that song? I didn't want you to just stand up. Thank you. Stand up and come up here. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you to... to just give some space now intentionally to practice what we just said. I want to give you a chance to experience more of the spirit-filled life, but I want you to, to think about what you're doing now. Not overthink it, but I want you to try to realize and then participate in this, this text as an invitation. And something not just to do right now, but every time we come. Because please, you know, don't anybody be offended by this. If you are, I apologize. But don't come into when we gather for worship late. Worship is for Him. 
don't come to listen to me or whoever's teaching up here. Come to offer your praise to the one to whom we owe everything. You know, our bridegroom. Don't come in late. Come in early. Hang out and talk. Start preparing for gathering together to be filled with the Spirit again the night before. There's no condemnation in this. I'm I'm just trying to encourage you guys. It's just really easy to be like our culture is. I talk to my friends in the vineyard, and they tell me all the time, they, we all have this phrase, vineyard time, which means people get here about 25 minutes after when worship starts. Everywhere I know. I was at another church recently, and it was just like our church. I felt at home. So I just encourage you guys, th- this is costing you something. It's costing us something when we approach it this way. So could we do that song that we did, uh, uh, How Beautiful the Name Is, the, that next to the last song? And just stand up with me. Corey's going to lead it, and, and we're just going to soak here for a second. Could you give us like another five minutes or so? Sorry, kept me over here, but 